Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind. I'm Kevin Byrne, and today I am joined by one of the most entertaining and big-hitting Irish boxers of all time, Darren the Raging Bull Corbett. Welcome to the show, Darren. Thank you, Kevin. How are you keeping? Are you well? Yeah, not too bad. You know, it's it's hard but in the middle of a pandemic, pandemic, but you know, you just gotta get on with it. Yeah. Um, are you still involved in boxing? I suppose before everything kind of. Went tits up a few f- or last year or what? Yeah, I was involved in an amateur club, Sacred Heart, you know, mm. but um, everything's closed down now, you know, so, you know, it's it's hard on kids, it's hard on, it's hard on other people, it's hard on parents, you know, but I was giving the parents a break too, but, you know, you're keeping fit and you're learning kids who, who people put it into you and I'd say, I'd say, I learned to be a boxer, you know, my dad and Emma McGuire and, you know, they put it on the me, so why not give it back? Yeah, absolutely. Um, your dad was involved in Sacred Heart when you were a child and the, your brothers boxed and you went into it quite naturally, is that correct? Well, my dad was a trainer around the Sacred Heart, you know. My other brother, Eamon, he was Irish, he was Irish champion three times, you know. And, and of a nephew, he's Irish champion three or four times and silver medalists in the world, juniors and all, you know. So it was... It was uh... Always kind of written in the stars that you'd enter boxing. What was it? What was it like growing up in um, the Bone area of Belfast? Can you tell us what that area was like uh, for those of us who maybe from Dublin or different parts of the country you've never been? Yeah, well, no, it's hard because you know the Bone. It's in the it's in a Catholic area, and we were surrounded by Protestants, you know. But you know, it was hard. You weren't allowed to go down one road. You weren't allowed to go down this road and whatever. But you know. We had a rough upbringing, you know, so my dad kept us away from all politi- politics and that, you know. Why did your dad keep you away from politics? Was he just wanted you to focus on sports? He was a sportsman himself, or? Yeah, well, he was in the boxing, you know, and he had me, uh, he came through all the troubles in our dying where he came from, you know, mm. you know, and he didn't, he didn't want the same for us, you know, so he, he put, it, put us into the boxing and learned to defend ourselves. That's all we were pulling the maximum for. So we were just to defend ourselves and to become champions. But, you know, a couple of us went on and progressed as champions, you know, in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the, the bone has produced some brilliant boxers over the years, fa- famous, uh, successful boxers. 
It has its edge, you know. There was Bernie Burns and all the senior champions in that, and Maguire's Anthony Maguire was a heavyweight senior champion, and and then you had originally the McGee's, him and McGee, and uh, they were all born in the boom, mm. but moved down down, you know. Yeah, and then, and then of course you came along as well. Uh, you showed an ability as an amateur that was that you were able to kind of get people into the arena, and that you'd be a big success as a as a professional. I think you had, I read in a book I have here, um, Roger Anderson's um, The Fighting Irish. He was saying that you had, I think, in quick succession, 18 first round knockouts as an amateur. Um, I'm not sure you've compiled the numbers yourself. Do you know your amateur record? But you, there was a lot of knockouts, far more than most people have. Can't, can't really remember, but I remember the only Irish title ever won as amateur was in the seniors, and I hadn't trained in four years. I was in a guy called um, I can't can't really remember, but um, I knocked every see every other Irish title. I knocked them all out in the first round. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. It doesn't happen. Yeah, I was the quarterfinals, the semi-finals, in the final. You know, I, I stopped them all in the first round. So this was it. Uh, was that the intention, or was that just what happened? Uh, just, just, it just happened, you know. He's he's gonna try and hurt me, so I've, I've got to get in there first, you know. Yeah. That's uh, you know, I, I remember when I went there. George Douglas was a Missouri senior champion, but even seeing the quarterfinal, semifinal, and the seniors, I knocked him out in the first round. But I was drinking, smoking, you know, not being a good boy, you know. And but uh, I just went. I seen it, the seniors, the also seniors, and I said to them, my father. I said, I you put them as he says, well, go on. A week later, I fought in the seniors and had, I think the first one was Leo Capper. And uh, Donald Everwell. And then I fought Douglas in the final. I stopped him. I, I went to seniors. You know, but, um, I wasn't training. I wasn't, wasn't doing right. But, you know, if it would have been on top of the game, man, I'd get a, you know, knock them out, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. There was a guy, yeah, there was an opponent, Willie Clyde, I think his gum shield ended up on one side of the ring and his teeth on the other. That was your seniors, but Willie Clyde, I see only you said that, Willie Clyde was the second, the quarterfinals of the national seniors in the stadium and knocked him out in the first round, just I stopped him in the first round. But in the, in the seniors and, and the Ulster seniors, his teeth was landing in the middle of the ring. You know, come she was the other side. <laughs> you know, it's it's it's, it's laughable now, but you yeah. know, well, 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 he's dead. I was worried, you know, it, you know, and, you know, he was he was sort of trying to hurt me. Yeah, of course. It's uh, just a step down from killer be killed. Uh, I suppose you go to the US and you have a knockout. You knock out the USA number one, a guy called Ike Green, and Ike that, Green, really, yeah. that really captures attention. Who who was he? Where did you fight him? Philadelphia, the home of boxing in America. Philadelphia is the home of boxing in America. And I went out there, and um, they were, they were uh, sending this guy, Joe Fraser, was saying, um, yeah, but he's last time he fight. He was the saying a contract. He was getting $50,000 or something, you know, the same Fraser. And a guy called Mike Doyle. And then I went out and stopped the apple card. You know, and I, I remember, I remember he, I came out and, you know, he hit me, I seen three of them, you know, 
And I remember people saying to me, hit the one in the middle, you know. <laughs> but um, I came out after, after, after the first round. I got in there, touched gloves with him. And, you know, and as me being a character, you know, I was having a laugh. Like, I wasn't even training, you know. I came out and touched gloves. And uh, the referee says, you don't touch gloves till the last round. I says, it is for him. <laughs> you know, but uh, and that comes stone cold. I remember this guy. You know, his feet he never even left the canvas, but his head hit the canvas. You know, he doubled them too. He he, he was out cold. You know, yeah. you know but once in a season, this guy. You know, like I, I was never. You know, I I was I was boxing super happy with that. I was never super happy with. My natural be was light and light happy. You know, yeah. Even even my last title as a pro, I went as a, a light happy. You know. But um, but to ask you to say, say yes, you know, like, but then they offered me, they took me away and they offered me to turn pro to train with Fraser and a guy called Mike Doyle the management and all, you know, last year. I had no interest, you know. You weren't star starstruck by, you know, Joe Fraser. Like, it's coming up on 50, 50 years since the fight of the century against Muhammad Ali, and he beats him. And, like, an absolute legend, you know, fought everybody. Just one of the greats of boxing. You weren't... That would turn most people's heads, you know, to get to, get to work alongside Smoking Joe. For you, it wasn't happening. It was, it was, it was at the start, you know. And then I remember, you know, we just finished the fight. The next day, they're, they're taking you to the Philadelphia Stadium to watch the Atlanta Braves. I think it was Atlanta Braves in the baseball. Now we were in the Lord Murray's box, and everything was free. Drink was free, you know. Everything, you know. And these people tried to take me away to have a meeting. You know, when they took me out to say to have a meeting with Joe Fraser and Marvis Fraser, the guy called Mike Doyle, and they were gonna, you know, they were gonna, they were giving you no money. You know, that that was a thing. But they were gonna give you a flat. They were gonna give you a car and a job and one of the the guy Mike Doyle's bar to stay and turn professional with Emmons. You know, yeah. You know, I just didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. No, Jerry, Jerry's story was trying to talk me out of it, you know. Is it true as well that um, that Donald Trump was at the, the fight in Philadelphia and saw you, took a shine, yeah. and was part of the kind of deal to turn you pro? So you would have been promoted by Donald Trump. Trump was Trump was to manage me, and I to forget the, the other guy who was the trainer. I, I forget his name, you know. But Trump was sitting, he was sitting ring safe, and they were going to take it, but Fraser and all, they must have bullied their way in, you know. Jesus, I suppose. Do you ever think of it like what might have been? It would have been kind of a sliding doors moment in your life, all right, but... Yeah, but, you know, they, they, they dangled the carrot in front of me, you know, and they said to me, no matter what, if you don't become world champion, we'll make you a millionaire. Because you want to see, you see, you know, I remember the night in Philadelphia, you know, all everybody, it was five each, it was five each too, so it was... <laughs> you know, and uh, nobody was getting near any of the other fighters, but I couldn't get out of the sea coming out of the ring. And it's like, you know, people, kids are offering you autographs and saying this, and people coming up and wanting to shake your hand, you know, because apparently this guy, Green, was a big, massive, you no know, puncher in, in, around Philadelphia, like, you know, 
So when you slay the dragon, yeah, everyone wants to know who the the new uh, the new kid in town is. Like, and I suppose that's the enduring appeal of someone that has power. Did it come Did it come naturally to you that just having that punch power? Because we we did a podcast last year on you know the the pound for pound greatest Irish punchers of all time, and you know for from modern day you're talking about James Tennyson is the current best guy on the scene a couple of years ago Andy Lee you know he was knocking guys out at an elite level um, and before that then you're going back to like Neil Sinclair and Darren Corbett did it come naturally to you or is it something or something you learned or you know because I suppose you're in a boxing club from a young age is it a technique that you learned or was it just when you put on gloves someone said you hit really hard uh, I, I don't know but most of them didn't say to me, you really, really hard, because I was snapping them out cold, you know, from a kid. You know, I remember, like, you know, and even the, the you know, you go to the Irish, you go to the old Irons, you expect, you expect, this is a cream of the crop from all the country, you know, every, everybody all over Ireland. You know, I went in the first round, the second round, the third round, the quarter final, semi finals, all knockouts. You know, so that's a, that's a great achievement, like, you know, you know. But, mm. You know, I, I don't know, everybody, I mean, my mother, the Irish boxing amateur board and all, they were all saying, Darren Corbett's the hardest puncher Ireland's ever produced, you know, they've seen it. Hanging back to the guys, who, you know, all the old, old amateur guys, you know, who've seen all the old, old, old fighters and all through the years, and I've never seen power like that in their life, you know, but I never, you know, it's just... You get on, you get on with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You still have to push on. And so, you, ultimately, you did turn professional in 1994. I think you came home from the fight in Philadelphia. You were expect you, you had a your first child on the way. Is that right? So, to becoming a father change as a fighter, and when you turn professional, no, not really. You know, it's just I, I went back, I went back home, and I never trained. You know, it didn't had no interest. You know, and had no interest whatsoever, and then. Um, the Irish seniors came along and I, I says I'll go down to them and it just seemed to change for me you know so that but I never ever wanted to turn professional because I was getting good trips with Ireland you know and I was going to good countries you know but so you were doing really well in your career but then you got hit with a bottle in the eye yep and I was supposed to go to the Commonwealth Games were in uh, New Zealand and uh, you know when when you're you're all star champion, you know you're picked for the Northern Ireland team. So you're, and uh, I get hit with a battle a couple of weeks before it. But the top plastic surgeon in Northern Ireland, he passed me to go to the Commonwealth Games because see because uh, you know I, I jump and squeal and jump and mess about in the ring. Then they, they didn't let me go to the Commonwealth Games. So that's when I decided, you know, I'll never, I'll never box on my chair again, you know, when I turn professional. Yeah. And was it just a random assault, random attack on the door that that happened to you? You know, most of the most of the bars we were working was, uh, you know, it was free for alls, you know, like in one one of balls was through. Yeah, it was one of the doormen. One of balls was through and smashed right across my face, you know. Jesus. You're, you're lucky that you didn't, like, lose your sight or anything, I suppose. Straight in the corner of the eye, and see, I don't know if you can see, see the wee bubble around the eye? I can, yeah. For anyone listening, I can see uh, quite a scar and a bubble on Darren's eye. Oh, wow. 
most people think I got that vaccine, you know, but I never, never get cut in the ring in my life. I don't even think I had bleeding nose in the ring, you know? Yeah. So. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, take a bottle to take a bottle to stop you. So you turned professional in 1994 and you started, like everything was looking good. You started picking up a string of wins. But your activity level in 1997 at this stage is really is really strong. So you've beaten, I think, Ray Kane. Kane is 96, but then you're quickly fighting even more in 97. You have the derby with Noel McKee, also yeah. from Belfast. Yeah, that's what I said. McGee's, you know, we were in a bone and are dying. Well, see when we were kids, you know, as a kid, you couldn't walk in the dying. You had to go with your mates to get for a haircut, you know, because you'd have had a gang on you, you know what I mean? But McGee's training the same amateur club us, you know, and Noel McGee was a senior champion when I was just a junior or a youth. And I remember, you know, looking up to him and him bringing his new Gary's Cup and all, you know, up till the in the gym when you were a kid and all, you know. I didn't really want to fight him, but, you know, I remember uh, all these wee leaflets coming through the door where I lived. And a photo of Noel McGee with his box and he's come off belt on. Let's get it on down and there, there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You know, I think McGee was the easiest fight I ever had. Yeah, you weren't exactly afraid. No, you know, two rounds. I could have given it up in the first round, but, you know, it seems, it seems easy, like, you know, and just... You know, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you, when you had that sort of power and you could co- close the distance, um, yeah, it's like there's another, I suppose, Belfast duo that were training in the same amateur club like Huey Russell and Davy Larmer kind of the same deal like he was coming up a young guy looking up to Davy and uh, eventually fights him and, and, and beats him you know no, I think they were the same pro gym just I think I think Hugh Russell backs in the Holy Family and David Davy Larmer backs in the Midlands club you know yeah, so he came over for sparring wasn't it yeah I just finished um, the great book about him um, so it's only it's only five or six weeks later that you fight Chris Oko for the Commonwealth title after fighting Noel McGee. Why why the small distance? Why the small gap? Was it just let's capitalise on the Raging Bull Corbett here, or what was it? I had a, had a fight every week, to be honest, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so what a, but, um, you know, uh, thing, uh, you know, we wanted as quick as possible because apparently Oko was going to pull out a couple of times. He was scared, you know. So so to say, but you know, that's boxing talk, you know. Yeah. But. Uh, He's uh, I remember Waterfront Hall. I remember standing face to face with him, you know, the way in. And I knew I hadn't made it the way in, you know. I knew 
but he was a big, big man, you know. I remember, I remember him coming in the ring, and even his music, you know, was scary. I remember mm-hmm. taking his, his robe off, and they were going, and everybody was going, no, he's going to get killed here, he's going to get killed here. And I remember, see the first half of the, half of the first, the first round, the first or second round, I remember, I was going to myself, this guy's this guy can hit, you know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, his punches were getting easier, so he was trying to keep me over the job, but there was no chance he was keeping me away. I was on four-man leg, you know? Yeah, yeah that, was a good, that was a good one. Did, um, I suppose you, you would have looked kind of physically different. I, th- I know you'd come down the weights from beginning as, I suppose, heavyweights, and now you're fighting a cruiserweight, and you're in pretty good shape for the Oko fight, I suppose. You're probably feeling yeah. as good as you felt as a professional, but did it did it get in your nerves? Kind of the stuff that even your own promoter would say, or you know, just about the weight you carry at the time. Did it? People would say it's it became almost like a calling card or whatever. Like, oh, Darren Corbett doesn't look like you know he doesn't look as in good shape as maybe a Chris Oko, but you know, you knew you were a better fighter and a better puncher. But the, see the see the thing about it was, you know, it may not have been in good shape, but it was always fit. Fit as a fiddle, you know, that was the only thing, you know. If I had to go to 12 rounds, I could have done 12 rounds, you know. Yeah. So I could have done that. I remember Frank Maloney and all was going, you know, like, you know, we're all trying to send me up at the start, Frank, and we're all saying, tell you, are you in good shape and all, you know. And I was going, I but when you take your top off, you're not in good shape because I'm not one of them guys. I didn't want a six-pack, you know, because I could go out and fight as good as anybody with a six-pack. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because even in the modern day, there's there's fighters that don't exactly look like you know Joe Bugner or whatever. But even Tyson Fury has shown up a couple of times with a few pounds on him, and then we saw you know the great one Anthony Joshua being taken taken down by Andy Ruiz Jr., who kind of had he had a, a few extra pounds on him, you know. We fat Mexican, you know that's what they were calling him, you know. But this guy Ruiz could punch, but you know Mexicans Mexicans lit. I think the heaviest maximum weight was late, late, late middle weight. That's mostly most of them go to. You've only got the odd one coming out, you know, a late heavy weight. But for a heavy weight champion, yeah, you know, Mexico never, they never ever thought that it produced a heavy weight champion because, you know, they were happy enough getting all the late weights, late featherweights, super bandoms, you know, you yeah, know. Enough, but yeah. yeah, you know, it doesn't. You don't need the appearances then. And muscles don't win fights. Mm. You know, you'd be bad and beautiful, but you're still bad and beautiful when you're laying on the deck. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you can still look good uh, having a dance when you're standing over someone who's fallen. Uh, like, so we'll, we'll focus on that uh, Chris Oko fight there for a minute. It's commentated, I watch it back again, it's commentated by um, Ian Dark and Glenn McCrory, and they're, like everyone else probably in the arena, they're pretty appre- impressed by Oko's start. He's undefeated, I think 14-0, and 0, highly ranked by the WBC, probably sees you as a difficult stepping stone to mer- to moving on and having a big career. Uh, and he, he starts off well. He's kind of teeing off a little bit. We, you, you're just trying to close the range, swarm in. Uh, what are your tactics initially? Uh, they, the commentators pick up its, its body, you know, hit him to the body, slow him down, eventually get in there. Well, they were saying the body's a big target, but I wasn't targeting the body. I was just trying to, <laughs> I was just trying to get in there. Yeah. You know, especially the, the first round. First round, he had big long arms. You know, he was keeping them at bay, but I wasn't really worried. You know, because I was going to myself, I can get rid of him. I try and push and push, get the steam at him. I'll probably maybe get him later rounds, you know, because he'd never been on the deck. 
He'd never been knocked out. He'd never been stopped. Even as an amateur, he's a, a good amateur. So, you know, good pedigrees coming from, you know. So, yeah. you know, like, I don't know. Like, when you hear about the, the corner work and all that, the corner work never told me what to do, you know. I just yeah. done my own thing, you know. And the lads on uh, the lads on commentary as well. They note uh, during the first round, as the action is just slightly heating up, they say, "And Corbett's gotten himself into brilliant shape. He's gone off alone by the seaside, as Barry McQuiggan used to do, and Dave Boy McCauley. What? Where did you go? What were your preparations for the fight? Where had you been? I was only I was only away for two days. <laughs> I was down in a wee place with Jerry Story. Had it was just what it wasn't even. It was the press was hurting me, you know. I was just getting away for the, the day or two before the fight. I stayed in the house. <laughs> You're hardly off in the Shetland Islands for some sort of weird training camp. The only the only training camp I was ever in, and I wasn't even my own. I was over sparring Tyson Fury for uh, the Rogan fight. Yeah. So it was big bomb, but that's about it. <laughs> so um, bombs away from the off at the second round. Um, you go straight for Oko. He manages to he manages to box a move out of the danger, give you a few angles, and uh, your punch into the body is praised by uh, Dark and Glenn McCrory, uh, the smart tactics. And then they really start halfway through the round. They start noticing like um, Corbett's very much the hunter. This is going to become a great fight. And then for the first time in his life, Oko goes down um, after a vicious attack. I think it was a right hand to put him down the first right time. Right hand. Right and it's the end of the round, yeah, wasn't it? A little dance as well, yeah. But ten or ten or twelve seconds left of the round, and uh, thing, um, Mickey Vaughn, Mickey Vaughn was the referee, wasn't he? Yeah, Mickey Vaughn, yeah. Yeah, and nobody heard the bell, so I remember all the crowd jumping in. You know, everybody, could, everybody thought the fight was over. My dad was in first, usually, you know, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, it got me disqualified, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, nobody heard the bell, so I had to go and do it all over again, and much it did, you know. Yeah, so you were dancing in the ring. Like, I think Barry Hearn's in the ring, your dad's in the ring. Uh, Oko's being escorted back to the corner. It's pandemonium. It's chaos, they say, on the TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does seem like it's, it's over, doesn't it? As you hear, Mickey, Mickey and Dark and Glenn McCurry, nobody heard the bell. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I don't know how somehow Mickey Van keeps a lid on it. Like, how did you, how did you go from being lifted in the air, celebrating to sit down on your still quick? There's more to go in this. Like, what was? Did you do you remember? I know it's a long time ago now. Do you remember suddenly having to reset your thinking on this, your your mental game? If you go back and look at the video, the first thing I was looking was, give us a drink of water. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I just, I just remembered, I just have to go out and do it all over again to focus right away. You know. Yeah, lucky you didn't have enough enough time to break out the champagne, I suppose. But uh, like, yeah, I was I was wondering, like, going out for the third round, what 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 could he be kind of thinking? But you went out for the second, as you gone out for the third, just throwing bombs, you know. And this time, Oko really didn't have an answer for it. He was kind of on the back pedal. You know, I, I every time I, I remember Oko, every time I whacked him to the body, you know. You know, the first round, the first round, the second round, I was whacking him to the body and him. Ugh. You know, I knew it was hard to really, really up inside. But then I switched from her to about half a minute to go till the second, of the second round. I switched from my body to the head. And that's when he, he went down. I think he went down on the ropes, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, coming, coming towards, yeah, against the ropes and then fell, fell onto the canvas. 
Yeah, he was um he was really hurt, wasn't he? Like he, you're celebrating obviously you've won the Commonwealth title and it's a big night for you and a big night for Belfast boxing as well. And you, like obviously we we don't know you don't know at the time he's he's injured it, just a concussion he's okay afterwards but what was the feeling like the joy well the joy you know come off tail it's like you're you're more or less champion of the quarters of the world you know so yeah but legitimately you know and and, and and the other ones you know it's it was it was a great feeling that night so it was but uh, you know I stay in touch with most of the fighters I fight you know I I know them all you know. And, Sending me friend requests, you know, on Facebook and whatever, you know. But Chris Ogo, I said to him, it took him near a year and a half to accept it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's probably going to see him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never want to see that guy again, yeah. Um, you've got one of the great highlight videos in, in any sport, I suppose, but in Irish boxing particularly, and uh, I think it's called Darren Corbett, The Perfect Punch. But your old promoter, Barry Hearn, is talking over, and he's like... Is, score, is scoring a knockout better than sex? Herbie Hyde said it was. You know, a, a joyous occasion, the relief, the fact that the night's over, the fact that everyone's going to be pleased with your performance is the way he puts it. But is a good knockout better than sex? Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to shite, Barry. Not a hope in hell. You know, that's <laughs> Barry Hearn talking up as me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ever the salesman sell, selling this sort of, you know, knockout. This climactic you know, finish. <laughs> it'll be good for Sheldon Vagra. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Pele and Barry Hearn in the same room. Um, uh, obviously, Oko is in, is injured. Are you con- like? What do you know? What are you told about? He's he goes to hospital for a while with concussion. What happened was he went to hospital because he, he was badly concussed. But I didn't know. But everybody knew he went to the hospital. Apparently, he stayed a week in the hospital in Belfast. You know, he was badly concussed, you know? Yeah. You know, like if, if somebody had told me, you know, who was in the hospital here, I'd have, I'd have went and seen him, you know? You know, it's, you know, it's business on one night and, you know, you have to relax the next night, you know? Yeah. Like, we've seen... Was that night as good as it got for you? I know there was there was other big nights and other great victories in your career, but we've seen the Commonwealth uh, Commonwealth title be a springboard to a world title for other fighters. Like, Eamon... Eamon Loughran won the Commonwealth title, I think Donovan Boucher, and went on then to win the world title. And even Frampton in, in later years beat uh, um, the Australian guy, Mark Kwan, at the Odyssey and went on then to win the world title. It was one of the various belts he picked up along the way. And on that night, and the ranking that you were picking up as well, you, you look like you'd be a, a handful for any cruiserweight in the world. Well, Logo was the fate. The winner of this, well, not the winner, Ogo, but he was highly ranked, you know. He was the fight excellent Mamba for the WBC Cruiserweight title after this. Mamba was the champion at the time, you know. So what happened was, I might remember the, the rankings, I went to number three in the WBC or number or the IBF or something, you know. And, you know, I never got a shot at the title because Barry Hearn was uh, just... Let me go ahead and defend my tail, you know. I, you know, even when Ray Kane, you know, I wanted to go before Ray, or straight after the Ray Kane fight anyway. But he was happy enough to let me fill the halls because I remember Eamon Lagern was world champion and he was in the Ulster Hall and he only sold 60 tickets, you know. Should have put me on the bill and it was to sell it the next day. Mm. You know, so he was happy enough 
you know, he was getting the TV money and he was getting, he was getting the, uh, everything else and I was getting them, you know. Yeah. So that's life and it, you know, it's a hard game. You know, and, you know I walked away out of boxing with them, you know. You, did, you didn't have anything to show for it at the end of your career? No, not, I never made no money in boxing, you know. Not, not a wiser. It's a... Uh... It's a story as old as time for boxers, isn't it? Really, most do like ninety-five percent probably walk away with nothing, like but memories or a reputation or friends or you know. I've cured memories in a couple of belts, you know. Like you, you, you can never take them, you can never take them away from you. But you know, people see when people see you in an HV car and all, oh, and you must have, you must have some way. You know, people don't understand. I've got none. Yeah. And I I work every day. I work every day. Well, not at the minute, you know, but and people used to say to me, why are you back my doors, you know, and why are you doing this here, you know, and we lost week job as a barman there, and, you know, you know, people can't understand you're working, you should be owning the bar, and, you know, so that's life in it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and we all make mistakes, and we don't always take the right choices. Do you have regrets, maybe, about some of the decisions you took in your career? Maybe regards kind of stopping training, or maybe your diet, or you know, other other vices. Maybe do you have? Do you look back and kind of think, I could have got the extra bit more. I suppose discipline is a skill, isn't it? You've got this, you've got the gifts of a punch, but other people have the, the gift of a, of being extremely disciplined, and that's something that pushes them all the way too. Whenever I. Uh... Left Jerry story, you know. I started training with Paul McCulloch, and that's when I became a, a proper pro fighter. You know, I was training. I was fit. I was fit for every round of twelve rounds. You know, I was. You know, Paul was doubling my power. You know, like from the power I had, he was making it even better. You know, I moved from you know cruiserweight, which was thirteen eight, and then I moved down to light heavyweight, and and when the IBO international title against Neil Simpson for the, you know, a 12-7. You know, it was on top of the world. I know I knocked out the number one contender for the European title. He was a fake Clinton Woods, but he all, Clinton Woods had fought him and he beat Clinton Woods. Clinton Woods beat him in points. It was a guy called John Lennox Lewis from mm. Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, I knocked him out in three rounds. No, it wasn't. By three rounds in uh, Liverpool, you know, and the world was yours there then, but then Barry Hearns gives you another contract, you know, and the contract, I, I was, you know, like, you've seen the Ogo fight, right? Mm. You've seen the crowd. Nobody had to sell a ticket. I sold the whole, the whole thing in two days, right? Live in Sky TV. How much do you reckon I got for the Commonwealth title? I'm gonna guess because of the way you're framing it, maybe five thousand. Two and a half. Two and a half. <laughs> and I suppose maybe was it presented as a stepping stone wage, but then again it's not uh was that two and, and a half after all deductions? No, two and a half and then I had to pay out the trainer, I was ten percent remember, you know? Yeah. But then I remember Jim Mark was telling me about what he was getting for his eyes. I was going, are you serious? You know, so I'll never, I'll never, I can't say it, like, but, you know, I couldn't believe it, you know. How do you think you would have got on against those guys, uh, your Johnny Nelsons, Chris Eubank when he was up at uh, Cruiserweight, Carl Thompson? No, you know, 
the the thing about it is, I was in my mind, I was destined to be world champion. You know, whoever stood in the way would have, you know, I'd have beat them. Yeah, no doubt about it. Like you know, Eubank wouldn't have counted. You know, he couldn't uh, couldn't understand. You know, he was only a super middleweight, middleweight really. You know, super middleweight. You know, coming up to cruiserweight, and he gave Thompson a great fight, but he couldn't have handled the power out of him. I had him off, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been intriguing to see it, all right. Yeah, I, I think he probably had his fill of the Irish at that stage anyway. But the thing about it is, Steve Collins is never a puncher. You know, and I remember I, I boxed on the show on Mill Street whenever Collins took a title of Eubank. And I remember Colin Eubank didn't even want to fight. He was scared of he, he'd him beating the main before it anyway. But the work rate alone of Collins, Collins wasn't a big puncher. But the work rate alone—that's what done the business, you know. Yeah, it was one of the all-time great, um, you know, hype, hype jobs, or not, you know, just spook jobs, wasn't it? He had him, he just had him in his, in the palm of his hand with the hypnosis story. You know, you you know the old story, you know the old saying. I've never seen a, a black man turn white. <laughs> you know, I swear to God, she in the she in the hotel, she read up until about nine o'clock the night before. The fight was on, the fight was off, the fight was on, the fight was off, you know. Yeah. No one think Harm was giving them more money to keep the fight on, you know. Yeah. You're just hoping it stays on because you're going to lose your wages. <laughs> wouldn't have made, made a difference anyway. I was getting more doing doors. So it was, you know, it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's a nightmare. Did you ever? You had a couple of hiatuses, like you was, you know, between 20, 2010, 2012, you've two years off. You've kind of um, between two thousand and four and two thousand and eight, you've almost four years off. Did you consider at those at those times? Had you packed it in, and then were they comebacks, or were you always kind of thinking? It was for a couple of pounds, I mean. Mm. So it was it was never there was never going to be a comeback, you know. Even the prize fighters, you know, they were they were not they were just. One offs, you know, just to try and get a couple of times, you know. Yeah. Is there anyone these days in Irish boxing that uh, excites you to watch in the way that you think you might have excited fans in your in your day boxing? Frampton was exciting, you know, you know, but I can't see anybody coming through now at the minute. Like you know, and young Tennyson, he's a great puncher, like any, you know. But it's excitement. It's a crowd. You if you can't get the crowd, you can't get. That's what it's all about. It's about the crowd. You know, it's about pumps, like, as a promoter says, you know, it's about putting bums in seats. Yeah. You know, and Don, Don King said that a right few times, you know. He said it about Tyson, it's about putting bums in seats, you know. You know, you have to have that. It's not even the, it's not even the, um, the power, it's the charisma. <laughs> and I had that bit of charisma doing me dances and stupid jigs and, you know, that's life, you know. Yeah. Well, I hope you're still dancing these days around the gym or the kitchen or whatever, wherever you are, or behind the bar, whenever you get a bit of work in. But um, I'm sure you still are. You got you, Once you get those jigs in your feet, you don't lose them. <laughs> you know, jigs, he jigs me around the kitchen. Get that dinner, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> well, look, Darren, get that dinner, mate. Uh, I'll leave yeah. you there. And thanks very much for joining us this week on the Rocky Road Rewind. It's been great. Okay, I'm good, man. Thank you. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.